they realized that they needed somebody to sort of come in and help identify where the water leaks are, put a program together to identify them and fix them, and then produce some level of report on what the savings are of that particular water consumption and costs. So that's really how we came to this project. If you are an irrigation professional, old or new, who designs, installs, or maintains high-end residential, commercial, or municipal properties, and you want to use technology to improve your business, to get a leg up on your competition, even if you're an old-school irrigator from the days of hydraulic systems, this show is for you. Welcome to another episode of The Sprinkler Nerd Show, my friends. This one is titled live from Anguilla or Anguilla, because that's where we are. And we're recording this on a GoPro, so I actually don't know if this is going to be a video episode or if it's just going to be audio, but we've got some backup redundancies and I'm joined with my good friend, Paul Bassett, who invited me to come on this water trip here to Anguilla, to this amazing private resort. And I wanted to record a podcast episode here uh, for fun, just to get challenged a little bit, but also because John Misick called me out in the Sprinkler Nerd group, and I was so appreciative because I need people, we all need people to hold us accountable. And so John was like, hey, it's been two weeks without a Sprinkler Nerd episode. And then he said he'd reached his MAD, <laughs> his maximum allowable depletion for those of you new nerds. And then he said, what's going to be next is the permanent wilting point, the PWP. <laughs> so he was using awesome sprinkling and acronyms. So John, hey man, thank you for calling me out and holding me accountable. And uh, we're just going to kind of improvise and get right into this episode of the Sprinkler Nerd Show live from Anguilla. Welcome, Paul. Andy, I'm glad you can make it. If, if those of you are going to see the, the video of this, Andy and I have on the Sprinkler Nerd t-shirts. Not that we're trying to boost or sell anything, but it was something that Andy thought of and I thought of. And now we got we got Nerd 1 and Nerd 2 together here from, as Andy mentioned before, beautiful Anguilla. We're working on, a, on an opportunity here on a resort to help them save water. We're sitting on the beach right now, actually at the resort, looking across the, the bay. Or what is it? The Bay of uh, St. Martin. Uh, was a bit of a challenge getting here just because of all the restrictions, um, but I'm so grateful that you can make it, Andy, and let's let's save a bunch of water here for this, folks. Yeah, so the cool part, well, there's lots of cool parts about this trip, but this trip was planned 14 days ago, maybe even less, well, probably about two weeks ago, and my passport wasn't even, it was about to expire, so I had to expedite a passport in five days, which, which was able to, I was able to make happen. But uh, why don't we just, you know, for those of you listening, you're probably thinking, how do I, how do you even get on a project in Anguilla? And what kind of irrigation do they have in Anguilla? So since this is where we are, Paul, can you give us a little bit of a background on why to Actually, there's four sprinkler nerds here, but there's only you and I recording this episode. Can you tell us why we're here? Very good question, Andy. You're right. This project was brought to me you know, less than three weeks ago. I asked you to come in two weeks ago. Um, but we have some other um, Travis Hall and Bill Beckley, old school sprinkler nerds, who have been working with the owner here on the golf course 
irrigation pumping system. They just planted a new 18-hole golf course, and it's super critical to have water if you're going to invest into a golf course. And the way that they get their water here in Anguilla or on this island is they have to desalinate seawater because they have no fresh potable water on island. So it's, they, they have a couple of reverse osmosis plants that deliver a million or two gallons of water um, to the golf course. And then there's another couple hundred thousand gallons going to landscape irrigation. And during the discussions with Bill and Travis, um, they realized that they needed somebody to sort of come in and help identify where the water leaks are, um, put a program together to identify them and fix them, and then produce some level of report on what the savings are of that particular water um, consumption and cost. So that's really how we came to this project. Yeah, and so Paul mentioned there's no potable, potable water here on the island. It's 100% desalination, and there's two ways that they desalinate. There is gov the government desalinates water and then distributes it. So they call that government water. And then right here at this resort, they have their own private desalination system. Is that what you call it? That's right. Plant. Like plant desalination plant. And the cost of the water through the government system, as we've been told, is seven cents per gallon per right. gallon so i had to i had to actually double check myself there because typically we're, we're used to seeing seven cents per thousand or ten cents seven dollars per, per thousand and here it's seven cents per gallon that's the government water and then the water that they desalinate themselves is like one and a half cents right that's right just over a penny and a half correct yeah so they're trying to desalinate as much water as they can through their own plant and distribute that through all of the buildings and utility as well as landscape irrigation and the golf irrigation and it is a mixed up bunch of piping water sources connections uh ponds wet wells all kinds of stuff cisterns and one of the things andy that we've learned since we've been here is that the island is was created on by a volcano so all of the subsoils is volcanic rock so when there's piping systems and networks underground sitting in the lava rock and a leak occurs, the leak does not surface where you would see it. It infiltrates immediately down into the rock and no one can see it. So it's extremely difficult to identify pipe breaks or leaks in this system. And that's one of the reasons we're here. We are here to help them identify where the leaks are and what we need to do to mitigate them, whether it's making the initial repair or we're going to recommend doing a full replacement of the system. Yeah. Um, so let's let's talk for a second about desalination. I don't know a whole lot about it, but I've just seen it with my own eyes. So now I'm really curious. And one of the things that caught my attention was the one of the pressure gauges that I came across inside the desalination plant was reading like 940 pounds of pressure. And the only, before today, the only sort of desalination, although it's not desalination, but reverse osmosis was the one that was under the sink at, at my house. And I know that the water comes out very slowly through that little filter membrane. And I'm just imagining that these filters are kind of similar, but it takes a serious amount of pressure 
to force the water through these membranes and they have an entire building full of racks of horizontal you know what looks like sort of filter bodies that that have these specialized membranes right inside them so the reverse osmosis system that you have on your under your sink andy is taking out some minerals whatever the the minerals that are in the water that Contaminants. You feel whether you contaminants, not necessarily contaminants, more minerals than contaminants. Um, it doesn't take a ton of pressure to remove those those nanoparticulates, um, but to take salt out of water, the nanofiltration or the microfiltration is extremely important. And in order to extract the salts out of the water, they the water must be pressed through these membranes, and in order to press the water through the membranes to remove the salts, it takes almost a thousand PSI to increase the pressure on the incoming water and basically press the water through the filter and then the salts remain on the opposing side of that filter. And then on the other side you have the raw water at that point. Um, the raw water could be used ideally directly to irrigate the landscape, but if you're going to drink it, you need to add minerals back into it. So we take the salts out if you're going to drink it and then if you're if you're going to drink it then you add additional minerals in order to get the alkalinity the ph back up for it to taste good yeah so there's pumps there's pumps everywhere there's uh pumps coming straight out of the ground there's pumps coming out of ponds there's pumps that have to pressurize the water to remove it through the reverse osmosis RO system, desalination system, then that water goes into storage tanks, then there's pumps coming out of those storage tanks that go into the mainline system, either for the irrigation or the storage tank for the fresh water for, for drinking. So there's really, I don't know if I've been on a project that has as many pumps happening around here as, as this particular project. And it's got pumps that we're kind of familiar with, Watertronics. You know, Bill and Travis are here to really work on, maintain, and build out the pumping infrastructure here. And it's true. I mean, the reason we are here is, is because of the, we're working on the Watertronics stuff, um, as well as, you know, we've been asked, you and I, to analyze the existing landscape irrigation and how we could, you know, bring it up to the modern era of technology by connecting all of the landscape irrigation through a network and, and connect it into the building automation system. So one of the key elements of, of us, Andy, being here is that the the engineer who runs the place wanted to see the irrigation system on his building automation system yep. that was the vital role that you're here yep. right at the project is that we're going to find a way to integrate every irrigation or landscape irrigation control system on the property um, tie it back to the building automation system and be able to manage the water more effectively than they are today yeah they need to see where every drop of water is going and I, I do want to sort of break down kind of the tour that we had yesterday so we can talk a little bit about where we went, what we saw, uh, what we discovered, one of the leaks that we found already that we could turn into dollars. But before we do that, man, I want to just um, uh, remind Paul, myself, and for you guys all listening that 2022 for me personally is my 20th year in the irrigation industry. I got my first job at Chapel Valley in March of 2002. And on my first day at work is when I met Paul Bassett right here. So this is literally the 20th 
anniversary of my career and our friendship together. And oh my God, it's just like, it's gone by so quickly. And there's a couple things that come to mind, just thinking back 20 years, and I didn't mean to go on a tangent here, but I think it's, it's freaking appropriate. Yeah, this is kind of like a, a 20th year celebration project here in Anguilla. And one of the things that, that I believe, and I know Paul does too, is that you really, you become what you think about. And I, you know, it wasn't that I ever thought about coming to Anguilla, but I always thought about how do we influence change in this industry? I just want to, I want to influence change. And 20 years later, you know, here we are on this amazing project influencing change and sometimes it's just having a little bit of patience you know change for me change isn't something that's going to happen in a year or three years or five years there's little micro changes maybe along the way right little baby steps here and there and then one of the things that happens as an entrepreneur as soon as we feel like okay cool i did that then we move the goalpost again and we're like constantly moving the goalpost so as soon as we sort of achieve something then we move it again and if we keep doing that over time, then significant change happens. So here we are, man. Congratulations on 20 years, uh, actually for you, 30 years in this industry, but appreciate working with you after 20 years. Well, Andy, that's such a wonderful thing to say. And I, I also appreciate you. I mean, you, you've definitely been the change influencer for me um, just because of your ideas. You know, we, you and I constantly are having brain shares. And I know you guys and gals have heard this before. Um, but the, the change challenge that you and I generate by working together. Ooh, that's and a good way, man. Change challenge. I like that. Always challenging me and each other to change and adapt and modify and be resilient in what you're doing, no matter how long it takes to get there, right? Yeah. I like what you said, changing the goalposts. We're constantly moving the post, you know, to, to, to get that win. And whatever that win is for you, whatever it is for you know, the, those of you out there, um, just challenge yourself for change. And, and if you stay persistent and you stay true to the industry and yourself, you will, it will change. Yeah. Yeah. And the things that we're learning that I'm learning here today, I didn't know yesterday. I mean, that's part of it. You gotta be, you know, uh, somebody told this to me recently, or I said it, I don't, I don't, or I read it somewhere that knowledge itself doesn't have value, right? It's not the knowledge that's the value. It's the ability to learn the knowledge that has the value because you can look anything up online and, and really the ability to learn that knowledge over time is how you grow and influence change. So, okay, well enough of that tangent. I, I want to, um, I want to talk about yesterday and sort of getting a lay of the land and where, you know, somebody like yourself who, who does, you know, these sorts of projects, all the time and for a living, where you go, where you start, where you go to sniff out, if that's the right word, sniff out the opportunities. Well, some of the challenges that you get with a project like this, Andy, as you heard through the last couple of days is I, I always ask, I need site drawings. I need a map. We need to lay out different systems. Where are the controllers? Where are the water supplies? Where are the valves? Where are the sleeves? And the, the consistent thing here has been we have nothing. We have no plans. We have no drawings. We don't know where anything is here. <laughs> I'm like, okay, this is going to be a little harder than, than typical. So then we just ask them to show us where they make water. Let's start with that. Um, and then show us around where the major components are, the controllers, the water connections, the supplies, the zones. 
Um, and then, as you know, this, this for me is not just about irrigation. You know, there's, there's all the water that moves around this site. So I want to see where um, the water features are because they have tons of them here. I want to see where the cooling systems are um, because there's water moving through them. And, and, and as you mentioned earlier, with, with a specific leak that we found, um, they have a cooling system that cools the, one of the hotels here and they require water, it's evaporative cooler. And some of the things I look for right away when I look at these devices is, is it overflowing? Because um, similar to a toilet flush valve or a toilet valve, they have ball cocks in them and those ball cocks fail consistently. And one out of the two cooling systems, Andy, that we came across yesterday had a fail ball cock. And Andy and I did our magic measurement where the we, the only well, for, how did we know that, it, that how did you find it first of all step back so how did you know that there was a leak well what what i've learned is in most of these cooling towers they have basins in there where they're full with water just like a toilet bowl or a toilet tank and and because i've done this for the last 15 or more years you know i, I know the first place to look where there's problems and almost one out of every two cooling towers that i've ever come across have some level of overflow or leak um, that's occurring and it it came true here they had two cooling towers Andy and we found one so how do we do it what happens is there's an overflow um, out of the cooling system and a pipe this was like a two inch pipe right that's correct two inch pipe that um, if the basin fills it flows down the drain and in most applications that I found that drain ties directly to a another drain either in the floor or in the ground um, but you don't physically usually see them because they connect directly to the other pipe this one though flowed across the ground and into uh, you know a storm drain and and because we got to walk right up to it and we got to see the water flowing at you know the rate that we measure yeah and what I'm gonna have to do is um I, I took some videos of this. I'm going to, I'll, I'll probably have to upload a video, uh, uh, two videos, one of us measuring this leak, not us, Paul, measuring it, which he'll, we'll talk about here in a second because we just used good old fashioned bucket tests without a bucket. <laughs> and then I can, I have another video of the whole, the whole system. So if you're curious um, what this leak looked like, I will uh, likely just post that video up on the Sprinkler Nerd uh, page. So let's uh, talk to us about, Paul, how we measured it and then how we converted it to a, a dollars per day of, of wasted water. Very good question, Andy. Typically, if I'm in the States and I have my truck or we're somewhere, I, I always have a five gallon bucket with me, whether my tools are in it or, you know, whatever, because it's an easy way when you're doing remote work to transport tools in a bucket. But also, you have a bucket there if you find something that you need to measure the open flow of. So when we came across the leak, we were on the golf carts, um, because that's how we're getting around the island. They don't have cars and trucks. They, we have golf carts to get around the resort. Um, but on the, on the golf cart, they had a Yamaha six quart, was it six quart, nine, nine, qu nine, nine quart, nine quart um, cooler on the golf cart. Um, and because the, where the pipe was, I was able to actually, it was a SDR 21 class 200, two inch PVC pipe. 
Um, but I was able to actually lift it up high enough without you know breaking anything to put the nine quart Yamaha cooler underneath of it. Um, and when we did, Andy set his or Bill yeah. somebody set their timer, and we timed how long it took that nine quarts to fill up with water, and it took six seconds, six seconds. to to fill it up for nine quarts. Um, we we did the math; it was two point two five gallons of water um, that it took to fill up in six seconds. We did the math; it was twenty two point five or um, gallons yeah. of water. 22.5 gallons per water times a penny and a half is almost 500 bucks. Yep, 14, 1,440 minutes in a day. Got the total gallons times the cost of the water. It came out to be about a $500 per day leak just because of that failed float valve inside the cooling tower. And who right. knows how long that has been going on, right? right? We don't know. So one of the elements of our job here is that we're gonna put meters on all of these lines and those meters will have transmitters on them and they'll transmit back to a central location that has software that is gonna be connected to the building manager's desktop and he will be able to see the water flow on all these devices. So if and when the float valve fails again, instead of it running for a month or two or three or however long, uh, he'll be able to get the information right away and send one of the engineers over to fix it. Yeah, yeah. So there's going to be some probably some more opportunities like that. We haven't investigated some of the fountains and water features and where their overflows go. So we were just talking about that this morning. Let's transition over to the landscape irrigation system. And let, let's talk about how, <laughs> what their controllers look like. Cause when we're going to say the word controller, but it's not what you think. And just to kind of set the scene, we don't know exactly how many zones they have here, but it's a couple hundred, it's over 200 zones around the, uh, around the resort and, and the controllers what you know, the, the rainbirds and such that are, that are on the wall are not operational. So their maintenance personnel essentially go valve by valve, crank it open, you know, wait around 10 minutes later, turn it off, go to the next zone. And that's how they're, that's how they're watering this entire landscape currently. And I, I must say, I have never seen irrigation applied that way before in my career. So this is a new one for me. Um, it, it really shows us how much they need our assistance at the end of the day. And, and not that that's a bad way to irrigate. This is just all they know um, for sure. But what our job is to do is try to take those irrigation controllers, meaning the human beings, and convert it over to electronic um, and then get all of that information plugged properly into a schedule and allow the building manager to, again, see the, the data um, and as, as well as allow us to access that information, Andy, and be able to to be their eyes and ears and, and water managers of this information um, anywhere in the world where we may be able to sit, whether it's yeah. in Anguilla or back at home. Yeah, and we came across one zone that I looked down and there's mushrooms. And this is a this is really a desert island if, when you think about it. Uh, Anguilla doesn't, from what we understand, doesn't have a lot of rainfall. Most of the rainfall is uh, not trapped, but uh, on the neighboring island, St. Martin, that's where most of the rainfall occurs because it's mountainous and it sort of um, 
you know, stops the clouds and it, and it catches most of the rain. And Anguilla um, doesn't have much rainfall. So it's really a desert-like Caribbean environment, yet they're watering the grass so much that it has mushrooms. <laughs> and the cost of water here is not cheap. It's real, it's, it's real dollars that they're, that they're, you know, they're putting out there and into the landscape and it's just it's amazing to see that it matters so much to them but it they just don't know what to do really i mean they're just out there doing doing what they know which is just cranking on the cranking on the valve and visually watching the water come out and you know adjusting those van nozzles their big van nozzle fans here which is not a very water efficient nozzle and they've there some of their zones have uh, the van nozzles and then an extra bubbler on these trees and these trees are a lot of these trees are, are mature and, and don't need the water and so I think what we're what Paul's gonna propose here is next steps is once we get an idea of where all the piping is going and then what the infrastructure looks like is to really propose that next step of a full irrigation audit right that's kind of what's gonna that's come on the horizon and that's important yes is is to let them know the criticalness of counting their assets. They, they don't have any idea how many valves they have. They have no idea how much water's flowing in a given period or point. Uh, from what we found out, Andy, they're really over um, watering, meaning they're, they're, their flow rate is exceeding what the pump and pipe can produce. So if, we ha if they only have 150 gallons a minute available in the supply, and the delivery, but they're opening up 300 gallons a minute worth of valves, the distribution uniformity is so poor. Um, as well as they have to water during the day while folks are walking around. So as you see, everywhere we go, and what, what do we have here during the day right now, Andy? We have a continuous wind yeah. running through here. And you know we're, we're driving by zones that are half the water's going into the road, the other quarter of it's going into the air and maybe a quarter of it's hitting the grass right so there's definitely uh, lots of opportunities for improvements and enhancements to this system and you know nothing but grateful to be able to get this opportunity to do this here for these folks yeah so we have uh today what's today wednesday yeah we have we have all day today today's wednesday morning we're recording this wednesday morning the uh what day is it today the 16th of february and depending on what we have going on, I may be able to actually scoot back to the room and just uh, clean out the, the wind that, that's probably being recorded on this track. Hopefully the audio is okay. And then, and then roll it out. And then we have Thursday. That's really our last full day. And then Friday, we, we head out of, out of here. We clear customs, take the, take the speedboat back to St. Martin. <laughs> clear customs again through St. Martin. And then uh, jump on jump on the flight. I I fly back through Atlanta to Detroit, back to Traverse City, and I think you fly up to JFK, then back down to Baltimore. Right. So it's a little bit of a trek uh, to get here, but it's a pretty amazing place. I'm excited to have the opportunity uh, to come to this island and learn new stuff. Um, and actually, let's talk about learning new stuff because we have something coming up, hopefully tonight that is going to be, oh, I think, yes. new for both of us definitely. that I definitely want to talk about that has to do with, uh, with leak detection and how to find leaks. And, and uh, I'm thinking we could probably record more, not only podcast content around this, but maybe some visual content too, because I really think what we're about to talk about could benefit most every irrigator. So why don't you take the lead on 
what we have in store tonight. Good segue, Andy. And what we've learned from both Bill and Travis this week is they have this special liquid that they inject into a water system that atomizes up out of the pipe leak or ground uh, into the atmosphere. As we mentioned earlier in the in the podcast, a leak on this particular island in any volcanic place, the, the water goes down, so you'd never see it. But if you inject this liquid, this liquid actually comes through the leak with the water, and, but instead of going straight down, it atomizes and vaporizes and comes up. And, and that particular um, liquid, uh, you can actually visibly see it with a blue light. At night. At nighttime, at night. yes, correct. At nighttime, you can't see it during the day. So, you know, we're going to be doing a nighttime you know, work this well. We're putting in a little overtime here this evening. Um, but I've never used this particular liquid before. Bill and Travis have. Um, so, again, it's something I've been doing this 30-some years. I've never seen it. You've been doing it 20 years. Again, happy anniversary. Uh, we're going to learn something new here, um, even as long as Andy and I have been doing the business. So we're, we're challenged for change this week. And tonight. Yeah, and it really it really seems like, you know, think about you guys listening. How many times has a have you known that there's a leak somewhere? You just don't know where it is and you can't see it and you just do your best to maybe put in a master valve so it's only leaking if it's on the main, it's only leaking when the system's on. And sometimes you just can't find the leak. So you just live with the leak. But for every leak that's out there, I, I just don't know why we haven't learned how to find them using this, you know, sort of vapor, vapor visual technology. And if Mrs. Smith has a leak and you do residential irrigation service, this could be a new service opportunity to just do, you know, leak detection in the landscape. Fortunately, it has to happen at night, but that's what you can charge for. It's this new opportunity for leak detection. So if if it works and it's something that I could use either my GoPro or my iPhone to capture, I'm going to try to film some content and uh, have it available for you guys. Uh, so, yeah, I'm excited to learn something new. 20 I years later, well. still learning. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, again, Drew, I just want to thank you for, for being here and helping out. And what a great place for us to celebrate 20 years of friendship yeah. and partnership and you know everything that you and, and I do, Nerd 1 and Nerd 2. This is it, man. And all you guys out there, you guys are all nerds, too. So I would say the next time you're at an event or a barbecue or someone's birthday and they say, hey, John, what do you do? Or they say, hey, my name's Tim. Nice to meet you. And you say, hey, I'm Sprinkler Nerd John. Nice to meet you, too. So I encourage everyone to call themselves, you know, Sprinkler Nerd Andy, Sprinkler Nerd John, Sprinkler Nerd Paul. Put Sprinkler Nerd in front of your name and uh, see what happens. Great way to sort of uh, bring attention to what we do and keep it fun at the same time. So, all right, man, well, let, we got to wrap up this episode so we can go back out into the landscape and start looking for more leaks, providing more water reports. So appreciate everybody listening. Appreciate being here with you, Paul. Thanks appreciate for the opportunity, you. my yes, friend. Sir. Cheers. Cheers.